Podcast World with Shake and Chad Belling back at you. Another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Appreciate all of the subscriptions, the downloads, the ratings, the reviews. Please continue to support the partners and sponsors that support us here at the Foul Life, our TV shows, our social media platforms, and our national podcasts. Don't forget to check out and subscribe to our brand new podcast series, Where the Pavement Ends, hosted by both of my brothers, Clay and Clint Belding, as well as our good friend, Alex Crosby. They talk about big game, turkey hunting, predator hunting, all things mountain trapping, predator control, predator management, you name it, it will be touched on their lot of great guests coming up on where the payment ends today's episode of the foul life podcast is brought to you by our friends at gerber gear stay sharp america you know how we feel about our blades our saws our hatchets our axes axes whether we're building a duck blind or taking breast meat off of a mallard duck we're getting ready to work on a motor and we need to cut a little bit of rope to tie ourselves off like that just happened to me in the state of California. I had to cut some rope and tie ourselves off to a tree so I could work on a boat motor that was giving me issues. And it was a freaking circus, but Gerber was there to save the day. So please support Gerber Gear. Check them out at gerbergear.com. Today's episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Decked. Decked USA, D-E-C-K-E-D for all of your organizational and drawer needs for your pickup truck the bed of your truck we use them for everything to haul our guns our ammo our first aid kits our dog training bumpers and collars everything that you can possibly think of you can put in these drawers and stay organized organization is truly one of the most key elements in success it is an organization breeds success and Decked has helped us stay organized when i know where my toilet paper is when i know where my extra dog food is where i know where my extra dry socks are i know exactly what part of my deck system they are in so check them out for all of your needs and any pickup that you drive and they got a lot of new products coming out we're going to touch on some of those today today's guest is Burgeon palmer he it's Bergen Bergen. I, I always mess it up, but he works for Deck <laughs> US. Bergen Palmer. He works for Deck USA, and he's also very passionate about duck and goose hunting. And I don't know when he got into it exactly, but we're going to touch on all that. Bergen, how are you, my brother? I am doing well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Are you in Idaho? Yeah, up in Ketchum, Idaho. So Decked is based out of Ketchum, Idaho. It's actually where I grew up. So ended up being able to move back from Utah and pick up a job here. And, uh, it's in a industry that's really fun. So we get to work with folks like yourself and in the hunting world, construction world, fishing, you name it. So the, uh, the decked product has lent itself to, to, to many people. Um, but for us individually, it's really fun to be able to take advantage of these relationships and learn more, you know, for me being able to have these types of conversations and fairly new at waterfowl hunting. But, uh, when we originally talked, I was, I claim to be a, a new hunter. And then I look back and I'm like, Oh wow, I've actually been hunting for like six or seven years now. So not as new as I thought I was, but I feel like I'm new every time I go out. So you're up around Ketchum. Have you been seeing any mallards or Canada's moving in yet? A little bit. So most of the waterfowl hunting is down South of Ketchum. Um, Cause we're tucked up in the mountain. So you'll see groups of geese flying around all the time, but they're just usually popping from golf course to golf course. Um, and then if you go south of here, south of Bellevue is another town nearby. It's a ton of farmland. Um, and this is actually going to be my first year hunting down here. So it's kind of starting the, the clock over again and learning new things. Um, pretty much all of my hunting experience has been based out of Utah, which is all kind of swamp lands out surrounding the Great Salt Lake and 
now it's going to be kind of shifting towards some more fields, rivers, things like that up in Idaho. So kind of starting fresh for me. So in, in Utah, were you an airboat guy? Did you, is that how you access most of your hunts across the Salt Lake area? Or were you a, a walk-in guy? Uh, definitely no airboat. I wish the, those guys would blow by me and <laughs> I feel like that looks nice. Uh, yeah, we, we would pretty much walk in just about anywhere. We'd end up biking like a mile and then hiking a couple miles somewhere. So, um, when we started, it was, it was, I was just following my buddies that would, you know, help me scout early season, show me kind of what to do and everything that we did was on foot. And then we realized we could bike some of the dikes to get further a little quicker, uh, you know, anything and everything just depending on where we're going. Yeah, that, the backdrop of the Great Salt Lake is awesome. The mountains, uh, just a, a really cool environment that a lot of people probably don't consider it a waterfowl destination, but, you know, the Salt Lake City and, and a bunch of the surrounding areas, and then you're really close right there, you, you know, to the Utah border. When you cut over, is that 84 that you get on, 82 in, in Utah or in Idaho right there? Yeah, I 84. think 84, yeah. Yeah, that goes south to, to Twin and then into Hagerman and then wraps around into Boise and uh, Parma and that entire Snake River corridor. It's some of the most special mallard hunting, Canada goose hunting in exactly. all of America, that's, let alone, you know, let alone United, the West United States. Yeah, that's what I'm excited about is it's it's got a history here for sure. Um, and even closer by like somewhere like Silver Creek is, you know, looking at, if you've ever been to sun Valley lodge or anywhere in the, in the resort area, there's always photos of Hemingway holding up a bunch of big mallards. And, you know, it's definitely not going to be flocks coming in on your decoys, but um, I think the experience around here is going to be pretty unique. Yeah. I think you're going to love Idaho. I've hunted Idaho a lot, you know, outfitting was always illegal for waterfowl in the state of Idaho until like two years ago. And now there are some outfitters that have popped up, but if you, understand that snake river and you can run a boat and get on them you know a jet boat not really an airboat but if you have a jet boat or even a mud motor you can put around and get to places there is some spe with all of the corn growth in the area and you know they they eat up on the high plateaus and then they bomb the snake river that you know that canyon it's it's a sight to see a spectacle pretty much yeah that's uh hopefully we'll we'll be finding some buddies out here that have access to either private property or a boat and that's going to be key i think you know the in utah we we ended up buying a boat splitting it with my buddies after about a year and a half of biking and hiking and that i mean it's that experience in itself is just fun to get out and take the boat and get the dogs load everything up and get to where you need to go and then even hike from there sometimes but um i've also had kind of the best of both worlds my father-in-law recently just got married and father-in-law was part of a duck club up there so either the opener or Thanksgiving, we'd get out on some private property and on their boat. That's, you know, worlds away from what we would do on the public land out there. And kind of seeing both sides of that was probably what got me even more excited was if you can find that pristine open water and not compete with 400 other people, which in itself is pretty fun too. But um, yeah, just kind of seeing both aspects of hunting and the challenge that both sides see. So when you're talking about your your experience in waterfowl hunting is it something to where 
you've always worked a nine to five kind of job. You get off on Friday and you get in the truck with some binoculars and you go scout or you got some boots on the ground with some buddies getting you scouting reports for the Saturday hunt. Have you been mainly a weekend warrior? Have you taken longer trips and left the state of Utah um, before you moved to Idaho? Did you go to Canada ever? What, what, what part has scouting played into it and that, that feeling and that anticipation of like, man, the work week's over. It's time for a cooler, cold beer around duck camp and getting out on the dirt roads and finding some birds. Yeah. I mean, scouting, I think that the guy that got me into it, one of my good buddies who'd done it growing up. And for me, I just never did it growing up. My, my parents never hunted. We had a shotgun, so we'd always go, you know, shoot clay pigeons or whatever. But at that point I was like, all right, I'm interested tag along with this guy. And thankfully he was smart enough to know the value of scouting. You know, it's, there's, we've done it before and I'm sure everybody has where you show up without having time to get out and scout an area and, you know, you end up burning a day or two trying to figure it out. But um, yeah, that's exactly it. We'd, we'd be in school and working a job and, you know, whether it's early mornings before class or after work, find time to get out and bring the binos, go hike around the marsh for a bit, see where you're picking up birds, find little coveys in little areas, you know, little coves. And um, I think that was the cool part was just being able to explore without the pressure of hunting. You get to go out and just walk around get up onto the dikes and look around for birds. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, there's thousands of geese flying around over there. Let's get that direction. And then, you know, once you have that payoff, especially on opener and somewhere near salt Lake, like you're competing with people everywhere. And and that was an eye opening experience for me was like, if you don't know where you're going exactly to the point and you're competing for it at sunrise, you're going to end up having a tough day. So like, like you said, organization is key in all aspects, whether it's where your gear is or where you end up going. Um, that was a big, big thing for me and still is, is just making sure that scouting is something that you, you know, first and foremost, you find where you're going to go. And I'm sure that plays along in any other type of hunting situation is, you know, you, there's always this shot in the dark. You might be able to find something and get lucky, but it's better to make your own luck and know exactly what you're going to get out of it than, coming up empty-handed yeah i mean it's one of those things where preparation organization truly are the keys to success and waterfowl hunting is is one of those deals to where people want consistent success but sometimes aren't um you know keen on what it takes and besides the commitment to your rig and your you know your arsenal and keeping that up to date and maintenance on that and whether it's decoys or your dog or your utvs or your boats or your truck or your calls um, you have to have the mindset of constant growth. Waterfowl hunting is different than deer hunting. It's different than turkey hunting. I'm not saying that you don't hone your skills in the turkey woods. Every year you become a better caller. You can put the birds to bed. You get them on the roost. Deer hunting, you might be, you might go from just being a deer hunter to growing a food plot, or you might go from a ground blind to a tree stand. You might go from a rifle or a muzzleloader to archery. There's all kinds of different challenges in all aspects, and even mountain big game hunting, the grand slam of wild sheep or a mountain goat or, or a mule deer out west being one of the top trophies in the country waterfowl hunting though is ever-changing 
daily. So turkey hunting, you might go in the woods and you might cut one and he's going to come off the roost and you put him to bed the night before and he drops down and he's chasing some hens. You might get him to come in. If he doesn't, 10 o'clock rolls around, you get up and move into a little bit heavier wooded area while they're getting off the first hen and they're going to take a nap, eat some bugs and grass. They hear you again and then boom, they're like, oh, I can get another one today. And But it's like, that's kind of the, how it is daily. And I understand that there's going to be different elements like a coyote might run around and 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 scare the turkeys and make it a little bit more difficult deer hunting it's kind of the same you play the rut you play the weather you watch the patterns you watch your scent you get up in the tree stand you're on your iphone until you hear a, a branch break and then you get ready for the shot unless it's a doe or a coyote coming in and i and i love all aspects of hunting but waterfowl hunting you talk about having to be on your a game daily from identifying the birds understanding wing beats and patterns and how they fly and when do i call the shot and how do i get them to finish and where's the kill hole and what's this decoy spread mean and how do i use a spinning wing decoy and what's a jerk string and where do i hide my dog and how do i train my dog and and then and then on top of all that i got to be a better shotgunner now i got to learn the vocalizations and learn how to call and now i got to learn how to handle my dog as far as like when the ducks go down is there a cripple is there a diver are they not working what is a cloudy day and a sunshiny day and a cold day and a warm day and a no wind day and a high wind day and a midwind day and you start thinking about all that and then you have the whole spectacle of duck camp and organization and entertainment and cooking the birds and the bounty and processing and butchering and I honestly feel that there are so many pieces of this puzzle moving parts balls in the air that's why the you know becoming a waterfowl hunter is the hardest one to do to to attain consistent success now being a consistent successful deer hunter and all that it's awesome and it's very hard to do but there's less and less people in waterfowl hunting because of the difficulty the investment and the gear is heavy heavy and then you have all the laws and regulations that go into can you tell a hen mallard from a hen sprig a hen sprig from a hen a hen widgeon a a young duck to an old duck a diver to to how many canvas backs can you kill how many scop can you kill how many hen mallards can you kill there's so much to learn so like i'm off on a tangent but man waterfowl hunting is the freaking cream of the crop when it comes to being an outdoorsman i don't care you can tell me alaska and hunting a doll sheep is difficult 100 percent. get a backpack on and train your ass off on a treadmill and hiking and getting in shape and then becoming honed in with your rifle skills and your ballistics and playing the wind and everything it's still not as difficult as being a consistently successful duck and goose hunter man and i'll tell you that that kind of rundown is perfect because when i think of like coming in as a as a new hunter and kind of the barriers to entry that you see as a new hunter, that, that level of complexity, you don't even scratch the surface the first time, first couple of times you go out, you know, you're thinking, okay, I got waiters, I got a gun, I got a buddy with decoys. Now what, you know, you don't really, you don't really worry about that until you really get into it. Um, but I think it's, it's, that's kind of the beauty of it is like, as a starting hunter, you know, yeah, of course, all that's going to make you successful once you get into it. But, you know, you can really dumb it down, tag along, learn about the process, figure out what you like, what you don't like. If you want to hunt water, if you want to hunt dry land, get yourself like, you know, for me, I got my first six decoys used that were blow up and terrible. Um, But, you know, just getting that process started. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, I got to get more calls. I got to get a better blind. Like my first layout blind was a shopping cart that I cut up and stuffed grass into. And all of a sudden you're, you know, it's like fly fishing or anything else where the more you're into it, the more you're into it financially, emotionally, everything piles up. But once you start figuring out, like, you know, how do I figure out which birds I can kill? 
when can I kill him? What are the shooting times? Like simple things that really as an individual or like, you know, what, what shot do I use? What kind of, what brand of ammo am I buying? Um, everything that goes into it is, is pretty daunting as a first time hunter until you really take the time to kind of learn a little bit more. And then, uh, you know, that's the process that I think really hooked me was having every bit of that be new every single time you're going out, whether it's, you know, we went out last week in the Utah opener morning, we limited out with three ducks, three, three limits for duck, and then went back out for geese. And all we saw were big ducks flying around. So we're like, cool, we'll come back tomorrow morning. Birds are here. It's going to be great. Next day we come back 78 degrees, no wind, no ducks. What's going on? Like there's just so much that changes within 12 hours, even in the same exact spot. So it's like, it's just incredible to see that process change. Yeah, I agree. And it's ever changing. And it's, you never, like, even like you say, well, I'm going to the Holy Grail, right? I'm going to Saskatchewan or Alberta, Manitoba, Ontario, wherever in Canada. Same thing up there. I mean, you're going to have a chance for more birds, but you know, just what is a ducky day? What is a ducky day in Louisiana compared to California or the Salt Lake? Do you want a high ceiling? Do you want a low ceiling? Do you want cloud cover? Do you want fog? People in California will beg for fog. I can't stand hunting in the fog. I want sunshine. I want a wind. I want cold temperatures. I want consistently cold temperatures that the barometric pressure of these birds is messing with their ears. It's dropping. They need to eat. They're going to eat in front of a storm. Do you hunt the day before a storm's coming through when it starts to get cold? Or do you wait till the snow's on the ground where the birds might come back to that snow field but then that food source might be covered up so i like to get in there the day before and hammer them when they're really feeding hard when they feel that pressure dropping so the more you do it and you start thinking about all the moving parts that it takes to be a perfectionist i like to talk about are you a perfectionist hunter don't take the fun out of it don't take yourself too serious but can you consistently finish birds at eight yards, 15 yards, ethical harvestable shots where you don't have to kill them all at 40 yards left to right passing shots or overhead? If you want to do that, that's fine. But I think that waterfowl hunters have this mindset and ideology of like, how do I get to the point to see them be ducks and be geese? And how do I get their feet down and their wings cupped and their necks stretched out and finishing candidates in the decoys? Or when you consistently do that, you can look at your hunt mates and your partners and whether it's men or women, your wife, girlfriend, aunt, uncle, whoever it is, your dad, your brothers, you can look at them and go, man, we did it. We literally built this masterpiece from the scouting to the gear to the setup, to the concealment, to the hide, to every bird's retrieved by a top trained Labrador retriever, golden retriever, whatever dog you choose, whatever breed. We get to go back to camp. We get to celebrate. We get to cut these up. We get to pluck them. We get to make a gumbo. We get to make a gravy. We get to do this on a barbecue or Traeger. There's all of that in this lifestyle of being an American waterfowl hunter, a provider, conservationist, gatherer, to where if you really want to attain that, it takes hours and hours and hours of nonstop, literally like becoming obsessed with it. It really truly does. Now you will get lucky once in a while. You might book a trip with an outfitter and go to honey break or habitat flats or Merlot waterfowl in, in California. And you might book a three day hunt and have one stellar day, one average day and one shit kicker day. You might not get all three days that are unreal. It just doesn't happen very often. If you want to DIY and start to learn how to do it yourself, going with an outfitter is a great way to learn to learn all that stuff, ask a lot of questions. There's so much content available at our fingertips now. Um, 
it's it's a lot easier to get the information than it was even 10, 15, 20 years ago. So really, as a waterfowl hunter, our goal has to be to be like, I, I want to become a perfectionist. I want to show people that if you work hard at this, it's like a job and a career. You can put it, you can put so much into your duck and goose hunting career that you're going to get a lot out of it doesn't mean a limit you don't have to kill a limit to have a successful hunt and you should learn something out of every hunt so you being in it for five or six years for the next 10 years it's going to blow your mind with what you see that works like how do you flag canada geese when do you flag a lot of people think that you can do it whenever but there is a true art form to mixing flagging your decoy spread and your short read or flute calling with canada geese so there's all these different challenges. Can you go out and set up a badass snake river decoy spread and, and, and pinpoint mallards, get on a sandbar, get in the low water, get where fresh water, wherever it is, this, the shallows, what are they eating? Are they grasses? Are they invertebrates? Are they eating small trout? What are they eating in that river? How do I get on mallards consistently on a river system? The, the, the snake river the Columbia River, the Missouri River, the Mississippi River. You know, there's so much. Just think about all of the different applications you get to hunt as a waterfowl hunter. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, it's way different when I have a current as it is in the marsh. And now I'm in dry field. My buddies were in Oregon last week on the opener. They smacked two days in a row. They smacked seven man limits of mallards in dry grain in September. Unheard of. But because they scouted and they kept their options open, they found a grind and, and they said it was like Canada. You don't see that in September awesome. in America, right? So I don't, I don't know. I just think that as you get into it, it's like, man, what challenge is next? It's never the same. Totally. It's just never the same. Yeah. What, I mean, what about like looking at getting kids into hunting? You know, that type of a, a first-time hunter is so different than somebody like myself getting into it in their 20s. And, you know, I feel like as a kid, it's just like, you know, have the fun, get them in, inter, interested in the process. Whereas an older, you know, older kid, what, what, from your perspective is what you would look for and try to show people that you're taking out for the first time. Like, like you said, there's everything goes into it and you have to be a perfectionist, but if you're not, if you're the one that's out there just trying to start, get a little bit of success and learn each time, you know, what are those things that make a successful hunt early on? And how do you kind of focus on those as somebody just starting out? Yeah, kids and adults, I like to do the camp. I mean, I you can meet in the morning and say, come out with me, and then they miss the scouting. They miss the camp life. They miss the fire. They miss the kennel. They miss the breakfast, the coffee pots. There's a lot to be said about the camaraderie and the socialization that goes on at the camp. That's where a lot of cool stories are told. They see a lot of cool pictures on the lodge walls or wherever you're staying. Might be in a hotel in an area that's famous and rich in tradition of waterfowl where there's the come on in, duck in, or the Mallard View Estates or whatever. And like, if you can start building that culture, and then it's all about success, breeding success into them. Confidence is key, I think, early on in your career yeah. where you don't want to take them on a frigid below zero day in, in, in crappy gear to where they're freezing, their hands are freezing. There's no heater in the blind. There's no snacks. There's no food. There's no birds around the dog's bored as hell. Cause he's not getting any retrieves. There's ice forming on the decoys. So all of that's intimidating. So if you find a day where you're going to take a new hunter out, 
try to breed success into it. Get them in camp. Talk to them. Get them on a duck call. Show them what a duck call can do or a goose call when the birds are flying. Get Let them be a part of that hunt to where they're learning and they get some success. They are going to get some shots. They are going to get to see some birds work. They are going to get to see a lab retrieve a mallard or a can of goose. And then it's all about the technology and the advancements and the evolution of gear. Are you going to cut corners and put them in bad gear to where they're freezing or they're not dry or they're not comfortable or they're, they're you know, like they can't move around? I, I want to put them in great gear like we build at Banded and other companies and other manufacturers are building great gear. We're in the heyday, the golden years, the golden days of duck hunting. You could take a six-year-old, a nine-year-old. We had nine kids in the Nevada youth hunt last February, and it was windy and cold. They were all in nice gear insulated, dry, windproof. You know what I'm saying? It's comfortable. Mm -hmm. And you can keep them out there longer. You might have to sit there a little bit longer before until the ducks start to move. But 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you couldn't do that with a new hunter because the gear was not where it is now. And that's a big part of it. When I'm introducing somebody, I want to talk about the culture, the lifestyle, the history. I don't want to bore them, but I want to show them like, hey, man, this place is known for this. We're in Idaho. Yeah. Here's why it's here's why it's so prolific to be hunting in Idaho. Here's what I've learned in Idaho. I've had unbelievable dry corn hunts, snake river hunts. I've had great marsh hunts. I pigeon hunt out of Twin Falls and we decoy pigeons into the cornfields that come off of the rock bluffs to the snake river. You get them fired up. You get them excited. And then it's all about the education process during the hunt it's entertaining but we have to do a good job of like hey man challenge yourself what duck is this coming at us i'll give you five bucks you name this duck and here's how you do yeah. it well nope that's not a sprig here's why here here's why that's a widgeon here's what you're looking for on their wings here's the color of their feet here's how the, the length of their neck uh, and you try to tell them like here's their wing beats here's what their tips are doing here's what their flight feathers are doing and and then it becomes a process of like man, this is, this is challenging. And it might not be a duck hunt that you get them first out. You might take them on a, a turkey hunt or a deer hunt. You might take them on a squirrel hunt, something to where they're going to get success, to where they're going to see it. And then you just keep introducing them to the new aspects of it. The boat rides are fun as heck. My daughter loves being on the boat. She loves driving the boat. Uh, the blinding, letting them cut the material and, and like playing hide and go seek and like making it a game of hide and go seek and being safe, you know, and teaching them how to use shears and a hatchet and a knife. And pretty much they're like out there in a survival mode, right? They're building the blind, they're hiding in it. And then when a duck does come in and the gun goes to work and all of your gun safety comes in in preparation on that end, you can make gun safety and gun education, hunter safety and hunter education so fun just by going out and setting up a decoy spread with a trap shooter, you know, a, 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 a sporting yeah. a trap, a trap, and throwing clays for them, and, and calling while you're doing it, having the dog sit beside them, tell them take them, having the target coming at them or over their head or left to right over the decoys, making it fun, you know, like a like a game. These kids are so ingrained in games and being online or being on their tablet. I want to get them off of that and make create that game for them through hunting. And there's a lot of cool stuff coming in the future. I know my good buddy Remy Warren is working on some really cool stuff that is right up that alley, you know, of education through gaming and through entertainment value. So I think all of that mixed is how you spark somebody's interest in becoming passionate and pretty much obsessed because all it takes is one group of mallards to do it right and unless you have a malfunction in your psyche or your brainwave you're going to be hooked because it's the most powerful thing in the world yeah and that's what i think that mine was almost the opposite of that definitely not early success i was that guy that i'd tag along with my buddies and i'd be the guy that brings along the curse no matter what and so i think that's why i liked it so much when i started was i was like damn this is so hard like you, you would go out and see these other guys come back and 
have successful hunts. And then I'd get out there and whatever reason things would go wrong, left, right, and center. I'm like, okay, like this is not as easy as you might think. Like birds don't just fly into your decoys. They don't just show up when you want them to show up and it's hard to shoot them. Like, okay, got to keep coming back, try again, figure it out. Like, and then finally, once you get that success, you're like, all right, keep on moving. Which was what, which was what, do you remember the first successful one, quote unquote, success one? Yeah. Yeah. The, the first, well, I, I mean, I think the first time we went out, I didn't shoot anything. Second time we went out, I was in my golf or my shopping cart layout blind that I had cut up and stuffed grass in. And that my first shot that I ever got was up and over behind my head as it flew right behind us. And definitely not a shot I'd take again. It was lucky and inexperienced, but killed my first duck that way, ran over, found it in the bushes because we didn't have a dog or anything. And I didn't even know what to do. I held up the bird. It was still, you know, partially wounded. And I was like, what do I do? So I run the neck and the head popped off. And I was like, oh my God, I don't, I don't know if I like this immediately. And then after the fact, after that, we just had birds coming into the decoys left and right and kind of figured out like, okay, where's the best, like, how do you shoot these things? If they're down and moving, how do you get them quickly? How do you make them expire in a reasonable time and not really mess around with any of that? And that like, for me was the first time I was like, okay, this is, this is fun. Things are working out how we want them to. And even then we were competing with, you know, people all over the place. It was out on some public land and I just remember geese flying and it was like the whole marsh was just people calling these geese in and I could not believe, but I don't think they ended up coming into us, but I just was blown away at the fact that, you know, you could be successful and what that felt like. Yeah. And I think that, you know, then you got to think about like, are you identifying the birds the right way? Are you on your A game of when they do start presenting these shots? What choke tube are you shooting? What constriction? What ammo? What patterning right. have you done with your shotgun? Do you know what your BBs are doing once they leave that wad? And and are you leading the bird? And what's your pattern doing as you lead and keep the shotgun and the muzzle moving through the shooting zone? Like, what are you doing as a shotgunner as opposed to being on the sporting clay range and one coming over your head and you hit it and you bust the target? Now you're taking the responsibility of aiming that gun at a live animal. Now, you dispatch one, you cripple one, you rip one's head off. This is all learning. Like there is an art to ringing necks and dispatching oh, cripples. Yeah. There's, we owe it to these birds to ethically dispatch them as fast as we can. Yes, we are going to kill them and we're going to eat them. Some are going to get crippled in the meantime, and we have to get them dispatched ASAP. So all of these thoughts are going through your head while you're trying to have fun and while you're trying yeah. to have, enjoy this lifestyle. And the only way to enjoy it is to do it right. Period is to practice yeah. and become obsessed with it to where your fun is because, man, I'm ready. Tom Brady doesn't have fun if he goes out and gets sacked 30 times. If the line lineman is prepared and they got a good game plan back when Belichick, before he was wherever he is now, I don't really watch football, but Tom Brady, <laughs> he's all about execution. It takes tons of time and practice and sweat equity, and so is waterfowl hunting. So when people look at it and go, oh, you just hunt the finest places on earth. Really? Well, maybe, but it's still not a gimme no matter where you hunt. No matter yeah. where you go in this world, it's never a gimme that you're going to have success. And that's what I love about you know conversation about like what are people doing and when you start talking about the company you worked for and the key to success, one of them being organizations, what does 
your gear look like? Are you are you in an enclosed trailer now? Are you a boat with a cargo net? Are you a debt guy where you open up a camper shell and you and you pull open your drawers to to uh, you know that kind of sounded weird. You guys do all these marketing campaigns <laughs> about drawers, but what's yeah. in your what's in your drawers? Bergen that's not you know in your actual truck you know what I'm saying like what yeah. what do you have what do you have in your deck system for waterfowl season what do you depend on are you calling do you have a lanyard are you blowing a single reed a double reed are you using a jerk string what do you have goose flags and tea flags and extension pulls and mojos and and baby mojos and remote controls and chargers and what's in your deck system in in mine right now I mean like that's the thing is when you're especially when you're hunting public land and time at the if it's the boat launch or the trailhead or whatever like a couple minutes means you get your spot or you lose your spot sometimes and i think you know for me i'm always organized i grew up in a ski racing world where you you're you're traveling with a lot of pairs of skis and boots and goggles and gloves it's like things that most people just don't really think about but it's like organization in every aspect of life is key so for my system right now um we, I just got a new set of two dozen, um, geese, goose decoys, but they're not, they're, they're just the shells. So I just drove those back from Utah. Those are still sitting right on top of the deck system in the drawers. I just kind of have my everyday stuff right now, which is not hunting, but coming out into two weeks when it opens up in Idaho, we'll have two to the four shotguns in one of the drawers with a, a backpack. That'll basically be our, our blind bag comes out with everybody's lanyards, all the ammo that we're bringing out there and anything else that we'd need in the bag, whether it's food or whatever. And then the other side, I end up doing waders, anything that's going to end up being wet when we come back. And, you know, the deck system for us is nice because it's modular. So this weekend I'm going out deer hunting. I've got everything I want for deer hunting keyed up and ready in my garage. I throw it in my drawers and I'm out and ready to go in 10 minutes, come back, throw it back up on the wall in the garage following weekend we've got ducks coming so it's just easy to switch between the two options um and for many people those options aren't necessarily recreational right it's it's contractors electricians plumbers whatever where they keep one side of their drawers set up with you know all the equipment they need for the job site they've got 200 pounds of storage in each drawer and 2,000 pounds of weight that can go loaded right up on top so you know you can keep your your play toys in one side a couple of shotguns locked up, secure, ready to go whenever, you know, maybe you're in a place like Idaho where we're 10 minutes away from hunting access right now. You can go chucker hunting at lunch if you wanted to. Maybe you're on a job site and need to get to all your tools that are stored within each of the boxes in the drawers. So, you know, it varies from time to time and that's everybody at our office has these drawer systems and you could go into every single one and they'd all be different and, you know, customized to that person's personality to their occupation to their passions to whatever they're going to be doing and you know it's, it's pretty much geared up and ready to go for just about whatever you need yeah i think i think it's a great tool like you look at it and you you want to be organized you want to have you know like all of your eggs in a basket per se like and then you're like oh shit what do i leave out because you can't put everything in there because then you're just you can't you know go through piles of stuff to get to something you don't want to do that in your organizational process with a deck unit but as a waterfowl hunter i take a lot of pride in my blind bag or my backpack like i have a dry land 
bag and then I have a timber bag and then I have a boat bag and then I have a first aid kit and then I have waders for this and then I have uninsulated for this part of California during this part of the season then I have hip Mm -hmm. boots for this and then I have knee boots for this and I take a lot of pride in the look on my face you can see I'm like man this is awesome. Like, man, look at this. Like I get to put that on tomorrow, my bibs, my knee boots. I get to put on this handkerchief to make sure I'm getting blood or sweat off my hands. Sometimes I even wear sweat, you know, during the early season, I'll wear wristbands to keep sweat from my hands and messing with the tone of my call. Like I'm always trying to think of like little things that I can keep organized that are going to give me that pride because the more you're prepared, the better you look, the better you feel, the better you feel, the more you're, you know, you, 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 you get success. It's like, you don't want to go into any, anything in life unprepared and opening those deck drawers and being like, all right, my Benelli super black Eagle threes here. My black clouds right here. I got different choke tubes here, different high vis sites here. I got all of this, you know, boom, 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 you know, and I can go and grab it and it just makes it a good experience. And that's what waterfowl hunting needs to be. It's not about seeing a duck die. Yes, we're going to kill them. We love that part, but it's about the experience. And if it's if it's walking through a lodge and seeing a fireplace with all these mounts above it and, and copies of Wildfowl magazine on the table and old Ducks Unlimited magazines and pictures in a in a like a walk of fame or a hall of fame of all these pictures that have taken place in that area, or you're getting in the back of your truck and you pull out your drawers of your deck system and you're seeing like, I'm prepared. I've been envisioning this and visualization. I've been visualizing this. Visualization is another huge key to success in any sport. You're a skier. The night before a ski race, you're envisioning. All right. Alberta Tomba did not get on the mountain and do GS. There you go. Yeah, he Who's didn't this do guy coming out of left field with the, the ski. Oh, I, 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 I know, I know, a, I know <laughs> ski. I live right here in the in the in the heart of it, man. But I like you know, Mini Shred Palmer. Do you remember Sean Palmer, the snowboarder, and like Terry sure. Kid, Kid Terry Kidwell, and and all the guys on like a, a Sim Switchblade and all the Burton boards and like I I pay so much attention to to extreme sports. But like when I would watch Alberta Tomba race, um. He did not just get on that hill and be like, oh, it's just another mountain. Visualization was a huge part, not just his fitness routine and what he did to keep his quads and his ass and everything in shape to be that fast. But that dude shredded mountains. And so do all of those Olympic and world-class skiers. But visualizing that mountain is everything. We're going to, it's going to cut like this. It's going to cut like that. The whoop-de-woos here. And I'm going to, and all of this stuff, they're visualizing all of the time. They're always two or three steps ahead. A shortstop in baseball. What am I going to do if the ball's hit to me? A point guard. Who am I going to pass it to? Am I going down low in the key? Am I going out three-point perimeter? You're always thinking two or three steps ahead. As a waterfowl hunter, when I get in my deck system, it allows me to visualize the hunt coming alive. And if people really want to know the secret or the trick to getting their hunt, you know, consistently successful... Start to visualize it and then think of like a blank canvas. I always say this. There's a blank canvas where you're throwing oils at it. Do you have the right oils? Can you paint a masterpiece? Who's the hunt leader? What's your responsibility during the day? Are you concealing the blinds? Are you driving the boat? Are you calling? Are you calling the shot? Are you working the dog? There's great pride to be had in all of that. So if people really want to get down to it, it's organization. It's consistency and organization and preparation you can't overdo those and then you can overthink but being organized and prepared is key and then visualization ted williams in the in the science of baseball the science of hitting chapter four i believe is 
visualization. He was the last hitter to hit 400 in the major leagues. George Brett almost did it, hit 391. But Ted Williams talks about visualization. When you're on the deck, when you're the day before, you're visualizing the fastball, the cutter, the slider, the curveball, the 12 to 6 rotation, the changeup, in the dirt, outside, outer half, inner half. My point is, is that visualize that. If these ducks do this, if they come off the roost and they're doing this, how am I going to, what am I going to do? If they do this, what am I going to do? If the weather changes on me, how, where, where am I going to move my hide? What's my plan B? And you start visualizing. And then all of a sudden you become a tactician. You might as well be Tom Brady out there calling the plays in the huddle. And you're just like, Hey, we're going to get them. Watch this. We're just going to change up a little bit. Oh, they're, they're, they're going to throw yeah. us a curveball and they're going to go into that field that doesn't really have an edge hide. All right, we're hunting mallards today. Watch this. We're going to panel up right in the middle off of this pivot and we're going to wreck them, right? And, and all due respect, we're going to wreck them because they threw us a curveball, but we're ready for it because we visualize this and we've already thought about it. If this happens, we're ready. Right. Yeah. It's like it's like Tom Brady. It's called an audible. You got to run an audible once in a while. But all of that, all of those oils being thrown at that blank canvas, can you create your duck and goose masterpiece? Yeah. And it's I mean, it's incredible how hard it really is, because you think about pulling those audibles when you're out there and you're like, ah, something's wrong with the spread. Something's wrong with the wind. We're not lined up right. The sun's in our eyes, whatever it might be. There's always something that you want to change. And sometimes it, you just got to take a step back and maybe give it a minute. <laughs> But man, it's like, yeah, it's, there is, you know, just the continued theme is be ready for anything because everything can happen. Be prepared and ready because there's so much that goes into it. So it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, just this last weekend, we're in California on, on early season Canada goose and I'm, I'm watching these geese the day before and the morning of the morning, the, the I got there on Thursday, watched them Thursday night, watched them Friday morning, watched them Friday night. When they got out of there Friday night, it was the first time that I went into the field. Opening day, Saturday. I had been watching it from a, a vantage point. I couldn't really tell like what the layout was as far as like how high the cover was because it was rice straw that's already been cut. But when I got into the field, I'm like, dude, we're not panel blind hunting anymore. We're going to hide everybody in ground blinds right here. We're going to do this with the camera crews. This is what the decoy spread is going to do. And I visualized like how we are going to literally line these geese up at 10 yards. I wanted them right on top of the ground blinds and we got them. But then the curveball comes because it's opening day. They're roosting on a part where there's a public area on the water. Then there's a pass shooting line. So what happens Boats going into this place, people walking in, pass shooters making noise. Geese, geese are notorious for sitting and resting and being like, uh, don't really feel comfortable right now. So are yeah. mallards, especially when it gets cold. So we're like, all right, we saw some geese, but we didn't see nearly all the geese we saw. They could have got off the roost and went out the other way, but we bet on the go line of like, they're going to come in here and eat because they held tight because of all the ruckus. They weren't used to this ruckus. Sure enough set back up in the afternoon and literally waxed them. Like I'm talking right on top of our ground blinds. They just did it perfect. Sometimes the afternoons are the best. You get a better angle of the sun. You get a little bit more, um, and you know, not, uh, what's it called? Like they, they, they just, they have more of a sense of urgency to get to the field before it gets dark and get a bunch of grain in them, a bunch of rice in them before they sit mm -hmm. in that weather, that, that cold water all night. So I'm like, we just bet on like, we're coming back out. We didn't see all the geese. The limit's 10 geese per man per day in this part of California for the early goose. It's a five day season. And, Dude, I'm telling you, when I say they did it, they did it. Let me show you this picture. I don't know if you can see it on 
I don't know if you'll be able to see it on the uh, Zoom here or not. Zoom, buh. I was, I was following along on social, man. It was great. I actually picked up a thing or two on Queen and Geese, which is nice. Yeah, there you go. You see our ground blinds? That's about as good as it gets. Yeah, they're, they're seven yards. That's a new banner for behind your station there. Yeah, we need that. But that we have all these green headgear blinds out here. We have all green headgear full bodies, and we position them in loose family groups, but with one wad because these geese were landing and then all grouping up together, walking in. So we kind of emulated that. And these geese came from this place behind us. So they flew over our hide, which can be dangerous if you don't have confidence in your hide. They would fly over our hide before they'd get to the field. Then we'd work them with the flags and the call, and boom, they were all finishing like that. I think, I mean, I can't, it was so hot and heavy, like you couldn't keep them out of the decoys. Very a lot of luck went into it of them of us guessing right that hey maybe they didn't all come off and even there's one of my camera guys and some of the hunters were very pessimistic of this is going to be a waste of time it was it was 98 degrees 98 yeah. in the afternoon and we smoked them like smoked them and here's here's how here's how cool waterfowl hunting is we were with a man mr mike 79 years old he's hunted since he was five he's going into his 74th or 75th waterfowl season and a few years ago, he was given two years to live. A year ago, he was given two years to live. A little over two years. Cancer. Something happens. He goes to the doctor a couple weeks ago, and they give him less than two months to live. And you talk about life. Like, how important, how valuable is life? How valuable is hunting to the, the hunting, you know, to that life and that value of life? And he, he doesn't, nobody wants to die. We had this guy in our blind that will not be alive at Christmas, they say. And he was jumping up and down and loving life. And then we cried and then we laughed and then we cried again. There's a lot of tears because you know, you know what that does to your psyche and waterfowl hunting was his therapy. So he's in the blind and he's talking to me with tears rolling down his cheeks. And then he's high fiving with saying, I've never seen birds that close 75 years in waterfowl hunting. He had never seen birds do what they did on that day. So me, I'm sitting there going, everything in life happens for a reason. I'm saying all of the hard work, all of the cards playing right, the harvest. When did we harvest the rice? It happened a little bit later because of the fires in California. It's a different year all the way around with COVID and the fires and the whole state being on fire. So the harvest was a little bit late. We were like, wonder if the geese are even going to find the field and get in there. Lo and behold, they do, for, you know, going into like 72 hours before the opener. We invite this man. And California Waterfowl Association helps us put it on. He's one of the biggest donors in California waterfowl history. And when you hear that, like you're going to be dead in two months. Like it doesn't even, it's, I can't even fathom that. It just doesn't make sense. But waterfowl hunting made it all make sense. He was like a kid in a candy store again and forgot about all of that BS and drama that him and his wife and his family are going through because of a shitty disease like cancer. And for a day and a half, the geese and the camp and the food and the cold beer and the camaraderie and the stories and the jabbing and the smack talking, let him forget all of that. As serious as freaking death, waterfowl hunting can take it from you and be like, hey, here's life for you, for, even if it's just for a couple of days. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's incredible. That's a cool story to hear. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's amazing that 
you know, I get worked up thinking about how nice of a man this is and how much he's done for our lifestyle. He was a military man. He was a captain in the fire department. He's a donor, philanthropy. He's worked as a board member for CWA. He's, he's, he's done it all. And he just takes care of people. And it's not those people that should get a disease like that, but it's life. And you just never know when it's your time and, and when your last hunt is going to be. And now our goal is to get him out. He wants to die in the duck blind. He wants to hunt his specks and ducks as many times as he can through from now until. And I said, hey, Mr. Mike, you ain't going anywhere. We're praying. A miracle is going to happen. You're going to be hunting with me in January, February. We're going to go turkey hunting in the spring. Let's just keep our dreams and our hopes alive. And he's hugging me and high-fiving me. And it's just one of those deals where that's what hunting can do to the soul. That is, I mean, it's beautiful really to hear that type of stuff. It's, it's true. Cause you never know what's going to happen. So being able to be a part of that is pretty special. All because of what hunting ducks, geese, this lifestyle. That's why talking to guys like you that are, how old are you? 28. 28. So you got, you got into waterfowl hunting a little later in life. I got into it when I was 27, 26, 27, where I yeah. really got into duck and goose hunting and, and, and now I'm 45 and I'm freaking obsessed with it obsessed yeah. with it are you calling really? you are, can't you can't tell you can't tell no <laughs> it's hard to tell in my voice <laughs> yeah or what i try to no. do every day it's awesome man no axel, yeah I, axel come here this is axel come here axel come here buddy oh there you go say hi say axel. hi man that's the other reason that i i've been getting way more into this is i got a chocolate lab two years ago she's two now and her more than anything getting out and just watching her work is more rewarding than any duck ever like it's incredible and just the process i I just basically watch youtube videos bought a bunch of dvds and tried my best and she's a good dog by no means award-winning duck dog but she does phenomenal and it's like it's just so rewarding to watch it happen oh it's the best it is and even him he's a master hunter hunter retriever champion qualified all ages and when in this was his first hunt of the season. He's been on some with me, but I just got him back full time. He'll go back to SRS in March, but Brad Arrington just brought him to me. And when those guns started going off and like his, he just went crazy. He's just like as qualified as they get, but you got to just, you have to be prepared. You have to make sure that even your, your dog knows what's getting ready to happen. And it's the, it's the oh, response. Yeah. That's another responsibility that lies on the duck hunter and the dog handler. It's like having a rewarding dog and a dog as high powered as, as Axel is. And some of our other dogs, there's nothing that can replace it. There's no excuse for mistakes or injury or, you know, not having them safe all the time. There's no excuse for them breaking. There's no excuse for anything when it comes to a dog, because you're, you're, you're talking about a conservation tool that's retrieving birds and dinner. And you're talking about a, a live animal. That's part of your family that is in harm's way at all times. If you're not careful with loaded guns and people shooting all over the place. They're in harm's way and you can be too. I had my, my father-in-law was a part of an accident last year. He, they're in a big pit blind and just recently got a dog back from a trainer all ready to go, you know, spent a bunch of money going and it was his buddy's dog. They stood up. I think when they were just waiting for birds or they even stood up just to stretch for a second, the dog got all anxious and excited, jumped up like, push the safety and trigger at the same time while they're leaning up on top of this pit line shot a hole right through his forearm. And it's like the best of the best can be, you know, anybody 
can get hurt. Even if it's the most, the safest person out there with the best trained dog, it just, things happen all the time. So, that, you know, for me, that was an eye opener just to realize like, okay, this, this is the guy that's been teaching me gun safety for a long time. Who's been teaching me how to handle dogs and helping me with everything. And, you know, it doesn't matter who it is, where it is, when it happens, it happens to anybody. So, you know, the tool that a dog can be is wonderful. And then the danger that they can be to themselves or to humans, you just got to know what you're getting into. And exactly right is to have them prepared and understand what they're actually expected to do when they can do it and how to do it right. So that was a crazy experience, but thankfully my dog is a little bit more mellow. We got to actually rile her up to get her all fired up sometimes, but <laughs> they're all different. Yeah. There's, there's gotta be a switch. They gotta be mellow and have a great disposition and personality at home and be very well-mannered and not rude. And then when you hit that switch and that collar goes on, it's freaking go time. And it's, uh, yeah. it's a joy to see. But focus. When you start getting a dog on a 400 yard blind, with just whistle stops and hand signals and you know that that nose is going to do the rest. There's no, there's no better feeling than, you know, you're going to have a cripple. You're going to have a goose that's going to soar out and it's our responsibility to go get them and make a valiant effort, you know, an honest effort to retrieve that, that bird, you know, so you're not on the wanton waste and having a dog like Axel, you see it, you're just like, man, you just instantly fall in love. You gravitate towards talent and you're just like, damn it, man, you're freaking got it going on. He really yeah. does. You all right, buddy? What are you doing? Axel. <laughs> He's just chilling. So what uh so let's say you have a great opening day. Or no, you just killed some limits in Utah. What's your recipe? Are you gonna say are you one of those guys that's gonna say duck poppers? Or do you have some no. out of the box recipes? What do I you like, like to do? I like duck poppers. Uh that's the other part that I've liked because I never cooked anything. I mean, I I would cook like your your standard stuff, but I never really got creative. And so that was fun about duck and geese is to try to start getting creative. And when I first started hunting, you know, I would do the classic over salt, over brine, overcook, and it just sucked. And then just started piecing things together. Right now we had to duck some duck tacos the other night, do some curries, which are really good. Um, last year we had, I think the best duck I had all last year, we shot, brought back to the tailgate, cooked it up on a little camp stove, diced it up into just little chunks, a little bit of butter, a little bit of salt just perfect like usually i'll do if i'm trying to appease to the masses for cooking for a bunch of people part of what i like to offer is dice it up put it in a pan of some sort with a little butter and salt put that in the traeger and so that's kind of smoking and cooking at the same time um but yeah i mean i'll i'll eat any and everything we do is a stuffed goose where you fillet out the, the goose breast pound them down a bit fill it with some Thanksgiving stuff and just stove top stuff and roll it up and start slicing and slicing. That's like the perfect little appetizer. Um, I don't know. I need to, I need some more. Any, any suggestions? I'm sure you've got. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, novels. my favorite Canada goose is, is slow cooking it in a Traeger. 240 225 240 degrees in a oil uh, foil tin with foil on top with dry rubs and maybe some onions and and uh um, apple cider real apple cider and just letting it slow cook in there you know four or five hours kind of like a crock pot or like an oven bag you know and you you can make unbelievable pulled pork sandwiches with it on onion buns and cheese and pickles you have to have pickles on it but that's one of my favorite can of goose because like you said i could feed 30 people at camp you know and, the, and all the crews and everybody um 
with a bunch of, you know, all those goose breasts that you get. There's so many yeah. being creative and unorthodox. I make so many stir fries and, and wild rices and, and, and fried rices and pastas. And there's, I've done wontons and I, I, we just stuffed our own raviolis with duck meat and I learned how to do that. So it's just about being creative and wanting to, wanting to, you know, think outside the box and take the time to become good at it because duck yeah. and goose is a very, like speckle belly is the best wild game there is you could go kill a mule deer yeah if you can kill a mule deer and an, an elk i promise you that speckle belly's better than both of them in my opinion elk backstrap is right there but speckle belly ducks or geese are unbelievable table fare especially when they're in the rice of california they're amazing um table fare so yeah man it's just about being creative and and we actually have a new cookbook coming out called the provider that we're working on right now that's going to have a lot of waterfowl recipes in it so there'll be a lot of how-tos in there field preparation how to take care of the meat how to debone a duck my buddy jim ray is a master at deboning them and then using chef's rope to and to tie it all back up and you know the you know threading through it and sewing it back together and stuffing it like you're saying it becomes like a nerf football with all this good and good goodies in the middle of it you know so it's like a i get fired up about the culinary art of waterfowl hunting too it just all goes together man the lifestyle is untouchable yeah i mean that's that brings it full circle is when you bring it all the way back home and share it with everybody does your wife eat it for sure yeah i'll get i'll send you one your wife eats it huh Oh yeah. She, she, yeah, she'll eat anything. Does she hunt them up? She doesn't. We almost had her out in the blind with us this past weekend, but, um, yeah, she's never had much interest in it. She was going to come cause she's kind of, she wants to see the dog work. Uh, she had an experience growing up where she went with her dad, fell asleep, somehow was asleep in the blind as they shot down two geese. Geese came back. He was wringing the neck. And as she woke up, there was just a goose in the pit with them flapping her wings. And so I think that was her scarring moment, but she's over it now. She wants to come out and learn a little bit more and watch the dog work. And she eats them. She loves that. And she'll eat pretty much anything, but that's nice to be able to share that. Was she a skier too? No, no. She's, she grew up, we met out in Utah. Um, she skied, but never competitively or anything like that. Yeah. You got to meet our Tom in our office. Tom was a NCAA skier. Um, Oh God, what's it called when you go cross country? What's that kind of skiing called? Nordic. Nordic. He's a Nordic skier and his wife was an NCAA champion in Olympic alternate in GS. Nice. She can rock. Her name's Christy Rashishin and she just rips the mountain. Epic. Yeah. That's they, awesome. they, they, a... ski, they ski at Mount Rose and Heavenly and North Star, a bunch of the resorts around here, but they go to Utah. They go to Sun Valley, Idaho. They go to Whistler in Canada. They go all over skiing. That's, I mean, if you're ever coming skiing, Sun Valley, that's not me. We got a spot not, for you. Not me, buddy. I'll talk, I'll, <laughs> I'll introduce you to Tom, but I'm going to stay right there in the lodge and have a cold beer or a hot chocolate or something. I'll meet you in there. I'll watch it all. Well, man, it's been a pleasure. Tell people where they can find Decked. Uh, check out our company website is www.decked.com, and that's D E C K E D. Uh, we got a handful of new products coming out. We got the drawer systems for pretty much any truck that's out there. Um, and accessories that you can find within the drawers. We got a new D bag, which is the drawer bag. Perfect for a duck blind, perfect for a boat bag, whatever you might need it for. And uh, yeah, we're always excited about new stuff. So product feedback, questions, whatever you might find, you can find us at, at Decked USA on Instagram as well. Are they available for pretty much any pickup truck, SUVs count? What are, what are they available for? 
We don't have anything for SUVs at this time, but that's definitely something our product team is looking into. Um, pretty much any truck back to like the mid nineties for most models, um, and any truck moving forward. So just about anything that's out there. And then we do have a new product coming out. That's going to expand that, um, here in the next couple of months. So a lot to come here from decked. Beautiful. Does it have anything to do with like a tent that goes on top of your truck? Are you guys getting into that market? No, we're not. No, we're, we're going to stick with the organization security and, uh, yeah, I think right now that's kind of our market is is being able to help keep guns and toys and tools and everything secure and organized. Um, and and then maybe later down the road, I'm sure we'll be looking into stuff like that. The, the automotive accessory world is incredible. Um, and the truck guys right now, you know, our, our market is truck guys. So it's fun to be able to be a customer and be on the, the brand side of things. So there's definitely a lot more to come for sure. I can't wait to see it. We love our deck. We appreciate the partnership. I'm glad you're getting addicted to duck and goose hunting. And, uh, you know, pretty much you're going to just get sicker and sicker in the head because of it. Well, yeah, I mean, hopefully we can find a time to get out there together and do a little learning from you. Yeah, come on. Come down to come down to one of our camps. And I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'm very good at it. I, we have the power of editing to be able to make it look like I know there what I'm doing. <laughs> CGI ducks coming in. CGI ducks <laughs> and all this audio that makes it sound like I'm blowing a duck call when I really don't know what I'm doing. According to the internet, that's what they say. Yeah, I'm sure. There's, so I just, I got to believe everything got I hear. Opinion. Everybody does coming from those basements. That's yeah. Bergen Palmer, B-E-R-G-E-N. He is the marketing director correct market marketing manager marketing yeah. manager greg, for dead yeah greg randolph who we're having on the podcast soon we're going to have greg on here to talk about all things decked tell us the website one more time palmer www.decked.com d-e-c-k-e-d great logo great brand keep all of your tools your guns your ammo anything you could pretty much imagine being in the bed of your truck keep it safe and secure and you could even like put a little ramp on there and park a four-wheeler on the top of these are this true oh yeah yeah we uh yeah two thousand pound payload on top so you can load up pallet of bricks atv whatever you might want and it's all weatherproof so even if you get a, a deer you know a pile of geese up there that you've already cleaned hose it off, take it to the car wash, rain, snow, mud, whatever, not getting in the drawers. So it's a pretty versatile system. It's built to last. Anything goes wrong. We've got a great warranty, so we'll get you hooked up. Um, and yeah, we love, we love seeing the product out there. We've got a good fan following and people sharing their photos. So always tag us at decked USA and we'll, we'll share your content as well. Cause it's a big one happy decked family over here. Yeah. Idaho based made in America, <laughs> made in America. Yeah. Made in America. Yep. That's cool. I like your hat. You like Thanks, mine? man. You too. You like that? Decked hat. Oh, yeah. Bergen Palmer, Absolutely. thank you very much. Everybody, check them out, decked.com, at USA on Instagram. They got a badass brand, and they are killing it. Did I get that Instagram right? Yep. At USA. Good luck. Hey, send me some pictures of your Idaho opener. I'm jealous. I love hunting Idaho. I was just up there two weeks ago at one of our places in Hagerman and uh, dropped off some mounts and a bunch of frame prints for a new lodge. I'll have you down there for dinner one night and introduce you to a bunch of people when I'm up there. Sounds great, man. I don't know if I'll be able to get you on a hunt. It's very, it's like, it's everything for me to get on a hunt there. So I got to tiptoe around it, but you can at least come see it and then like maybe meet them. And then maybe they'll be like, Hey man, come on out here for a hunt whenever you're in the area. And then you're going to be like, Oh, that's funny. I'm in the area tomorrow and the next day. 
and yeah, maybe a few uh, more days after that. I'll work for the the access if they need me to pick up anything. I'll I'll pick up trash, clean their gear, whatever it takes, man. You got to get your foot in the door. We'll work for duck hunting, and we will too. That's another episode of the Foul Eye Podcast. Please continue to support the partners and sponsors that support our TV shows, our podcasts, our social media, our live events, our concerts, our farming events. Thank you to Gerber and Decked for producing today's or presenting today's episode of the Foul Eye Podcast. Bergen Palmer, thank you very much. Any closing words, my man? Nope, that's about it, man. Thank you so much for having us. Heck yeah, that was awesome. Tom, hit that button. This is the rock band. This rock band that sings this song, I met them in Idaho Falls. They're all from R- Rigby, Idaho Falls area, kind of close up where you're at. And uh, this is 2 a.m. Logic out of Idaho Falls. I wrote this song, and then Todd Thompson, the lead singer, helped me finish it up. This is called My Foul Life. Tom, hit that button. Thank you all very much for listening to the Foul Life Podcast. Foul Life Podcast.